Welcome to North Bay Christ the King. You're listening to our weekly service message podcast. Join us every Sunday morning at 9.30 and 11 o'clock at our campus location in Birch Bay, Washington. Thank you for tuning in. a new series that we're going to dive into. And the series that we're going to do is a little bit different than we normally do. A lot of times we do more topical series, like this last month we did a whole series on the soul. But today we're going to look at a book of the Bible for the next six weeks. And you need to understand, if, if you're fairly new to faith or not sure how the Bible is all structured, the book that we're going to look at is actually a letter of many letters that are in the Bible. See, if you, if you don't know, it's okay. You don't, you know, don't, hopefully you don't feel embarrassed. Not everybody knows how the Bible is structured. The Bible is split into an Old Testament and New Testament. And the way to think about this, if you don't know, is that the Old Testament is everything before Jesus. The New Testament is Jesus and beyond. And we have four gospels in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they talk about the life and teachings of Jesus and very importantly, his death and resurrection are all in the Gospels. And there's just different uh, flavors and different versions that help us paint a great picture of who, who Jesus is. And then right after Jesus rose from the dead and then ascended to heaven, we have the first start of the church. It's a historical record called the book of Acts. And Acts just, just talks about not only the acts of the apostles, but the acts of the Holy Spirit and many Many people came to faith in Christ and miracles that took place. And it's just a wonderful book that just lays out really the first few years of how the church started. But in that book, there's a recording of a, of a guy named Saul who ended up becoming his name Paul. And Paul was a guy that was against Christianity. He ends up becoming the greatest proponent for it. And Paul becomes this missionary and, and begins to help plant churches all over the Mediterranean. And through that work that he was doing, he would go back and he would write letters to these churches that either he couldn't physically go back there, back there because many times it's the fact that he was in prison. He was, in fact, when he writes some of these letters, he says, I write to you in chains. And so there was this intense persecution that took place, and yet it did not hinder the gospel. In fact, the more the church got persecuted, the more it spread across the Mediterranean, the Middle East, and it moved into in Africa and Europe and to, to the East. And of course, the West, we're here today because of the move of, of the work of, of, of the gospel that spread. And now when we jump into one of the letters that we're going to look at today, this letter was written to the, a group in a city called Ephesus. It's kind of fascinating if you study Ephesus geographically, it's, it's very similar to Birch Bay and Blaine. It's a port city. It actually is an entry port for people to come from, you know, they're on the Mediterranean. It's kind of like the ancient I-5 was the Mediterranean and people traveled through. And so it was a gateway city that people passed through. And the, the spiritual climate was very similar. It was very, very unchurched. And you know, you're here and you're part of church and you see churches around in our county but you need to understand that Whatcom County was, is very similar to Ephesus. There was a low percentage of Christians that were there, and it's here today. Their last census, it says that there's about 20% of people that attend church, and that's any kind of house of worship in Whatcom County. Now you think about that of people that are like Bible-believing churches, there's, it's, a, it's a small fraction. So in your world that you live in, if you kind of feel like, man, everybody's a Christian, 
You're not getting out in the world, are you? Uh, we're, we can insulate ourselves very easily. In fact, in, it, that there is, in fact, some hostility sometimes toward church and Christians that if you haven't faced and, you know, and, and, and experienced, it's, it's out there. And you might feel kind of a polarization, increased resistance that's going on. And we need to know that gone are the days of living a comfortable Christian life. If you're looking for that, it's over. Sorry. It's done. There's a hostility that seems to be brewing, and, and of course, media doesn't help, and all that's going on in the world, but, but this is focus in our county and what, what's happening. So we have some choices as, as followers of Christ, as church people. What are we going to do about it? What, what do we do in the world we live in and the, and the challenges that, that we face? Well, there's three choices, really basic choices that we, we can do as Christians, as the church. We can first, we can do this, is we can just give in to culture. We just kind of go with what culture says. You can't beat them, join them, and whatever culture is saying to do, and whatever is now the new norm to do, you just follow doing that. Or we could take the opposite approach, and that is, well, we've got to hunker down. We've got to be a, we've got to be a fortress. We can't let the, the world out there pollute us. And so we've got, to, we've got to protect our kids. We've got to protect everybody from the big bad world that's there. Now, those are two extremes that we have as choices. But I want to tell you, if you talk to the people that have made those choices, you're going to have a tough time, or the churches you're going to find, you're going to have a tough time over time to find those. Because what happens is the churches that compromise the gospel, they compromise moral values, they end up, don't have any backbone, and they, they don't hardly exist any longer. In fact, they'll begin to continue to die out in, in prediction of that. The opposite is this, is churches that, that hunker down and fortress and don't reach out to anybody in their community, they'll just die as people die in that church. And if you're going, well, where's that at? Well, just look around in our community, in our, in our county, and you'll see, you'll see church buildings that don't have any churches in them. It's a karate studio or a daycare center or somebody made it as their house, okay? So we have a third choice. And I offer the third choice for us, and it really fits in in preparation of what we talk about in, in Ephesians is this, that we are called to be an army of love. And that we're to be not only to be, to be strong, but be caring, to be loving. See, you and I were never called to be an innocent bystander. That was never the goal of Jesus. When, when Jesus rose from the dead and he was going to send to heaven, he gave marching orders. He didn't say, hey, come and be an audience of people. He says, I'm calling you to be an army. And he gave the marching orders as this is to go. To go into all the world and preach the good news of Jesus. To go and make disciples of all nations, baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's, the, the goal is to, to make disciples by going out and being this army of love. And the book of Ephesians is a great book because it's a survivor guide for us. It's a survival guide to help us when we're dealing with the resistance that we face in the world to be this army of love, to be strong and to be caring at the same time. He gives us a very, very good backbone that we can rest upon, and yet we can be feel empowered to have tender hearts toward those that need Jesus. It gives us great freedom that we're going to look at. It's going to give us the potential that we have in Christ to be this strong army of love. And there's six essentials that we're going to look at here in the next several weeks. We're going to look today, we'll look at acceptance we're going to look at unity in future week. We're going to look at maturity. We're going to look at sacrifice. And yes, we're going to even look at warfare. This is Ephesians, okay? Are you guys ready? Can we buckle up? 
and do this. Are you with me on this? I'm fired up about this, by the way. I don't know what I ate for breakfast. Well, I didn't know what I ate for breakfast. I don't know what it was, but I am excited. I'm feeling good. And I want to jump in chapter one of Ephesians. Okay, here we go. Let's read this together. It's on the screen. You can read in your own text. It says this. Ephesians 1, 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints in Ephesus and the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from the God, our Father, and Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. To the praise of the glorious grace which he has freely given us in Christ, in, in the one he loves. In him, we have been, we, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding that he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put in effect when the times have reached their fulfillment to bring all things in heaven and earth together under one head, even Christ. In him, we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will in order that we may, who were in first hope in Christ, may be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed you were marked in him with the seal, a promised Holy Spirit, who is depositing, guaranteeing our inheritance upon, until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Wow, we could just stop there and go, yes, those are our marching orders that God has given us, that we're going we're gonna to pack today and we're going to look at. Now, here's a, here's a question we're getting going for today. Do you recall a nerve-wracking moment waiting to be picked on a team? Do you remember a moment you had? Some of you are like, I'm scarred by the moments I've had where I'm picked or not picked on a team or not picked right away. Now, ladies, you can relate a little, little bit with this, but us guys, we dealt with this punishment as elementary, maybe middle school years where, you know, you're at recess and you're going to play kickball or baseball or whatever, you know, and, and, and they divide the teams. And I don't know whoever got to self-appoint themselves as captain. You ever figure that out? Like that guy's captain, that guy's captain. Those are the cool kids, the captains. And, and so they divide, okay, we're going to pick teams and everybody lines up and waiting. And, and usually, and you might've been the cool guy that got picked quick, quicker than everybody else. We're like, oh, I'll take him. I'll take him. I'll take him. Oh yeah, you're on my team. And then you kind of get in the middle of the pack. They're like, oh man, there's a hesitation. Oh man. All right, you know, and then pretty soon you go through all the picks. And the worst in the world is to be last picked. Because when you're last picked, you're not really picked. <laughs> you're right? You're, you know, all right. Don't screw up, right? I'll take you, right? I'll take you. Ladies, I don't know if you've experienced that maybe, maybe on the playground, but I'm sure socially in groups, like, there's a pecking order maybe to the, to the, like some girl 
who thinks she's cool, picks where everybody sits at the lunch table, right? You know, mean girls out there, okay? So somebody does that. I don't know how it works, but here's the thing. It's like Lord of the Flies, right? Here's the thing. Whatever that might be in your experiences growing up, it shapes us. It shapes us. It affects us when we're older and when we're picked for a scholarship or a college, a job position, or just feeling wanted in a social group. And here's the thing. We never, ever outgrow that feeling to being fully, wholeheartedly accepted. None of us truly do not want to be reluctantly the last choice, right? But we live in that world. We live in that tension. And the reality is this. We were created by God to belong by choice. And I love what Paul writes so richly in chapter one. And if there was ever a, a message entitled for the whole chapter, you can look at this as this is acceptance. He tells us here, this is acceptance. And I want to challenge us today as we're going to look at this, that there is, there's a message that, that Paul has for us, and, but it's, there's a challenge with that. It's this, you are chosen, but you have a choice. There's, a, there's an opportunity and there's a challenge that we're going to look at here in chapter 1. After the opening verses and the opening greeting, Paul says these words, for he has, or he chose us. And I love that. I love that because Paul saying, hey, God, the great captain of the planet, when he went to pick teams, didn't him didn't hesitate, didn't go, hmm, I don't know. Man, all the good ones are taken. I don't know. Uh, all right, McAvoy. You're, you're on the team. You're on the team. Don't screw up. Right? God doesn't do that. No. What does he say? For God chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. What he's saying is this. And think about it this way. If, if you ever watch like, you know, The Voice, you know, the show where they, they, the, the blind auditions where they're choosing who gets to sing, it's this concept basically like, you know, they can't see the person singing. They can only hear them. And if the, if the judges like, the, like hearing that voice, like that's a really good singing voice, they'll hit a button, they'll flip their chair. Can I tell you this? Is that God already has his chair flipped before you performed, and before you were born. You ever felt like nobody cared? You're an afterthought, you're a mistake, you're a leftover, you're a burden, you're an obligation. He picked you. He picked me. Before there was a twinkling in anybody's eye. Listen, if you were a surprise to your parents, you were not a surprise to God, you are a planned pregnancy. Very appropriate to the theme to read this today in the video that we watch. For you created, Lord, my innermost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know them full and well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place where I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. You are not an accident. You are not a surprise. You are not a mistake. God says to us, before the foundations of the earth, you were in the heart and mind of me. One, 
and, and he looks at us and he sees us that you are number one. You are the, my first pick. You are the number one draft. And then you think about that. Well, all of us are? How does that happen? Like God can do that. We were all his number one. He chose us way before. See, no matter what your parents said and felt about you, no matter what team you made or not made, whether you're promoted or demoted or, or uh, you know, downsized, God says you're number one. You are chosen. But here's the catch in all of it. You are chosen, you are chosen, you're chosen. But here's the catch. You have to make a choice in that being chosen. We live in this very competitive world, live in, but we have a choice and this choice is to walk, as Paul says, to be chosen, to walk in so that we are chosen to be holy. Holy means set apart for divine purpose, blameless. Blameless means perfect. Like, how do we become perfect? Well, we're going to get to that in a moment, but that is our calling. That is calling from the very eons before that even the world existed, that he chose you and he chose me. We're not the last. We're not the leftovers. We are his first choice every single time. Now, why would God do this? For one reason, love. Verse four and five, in love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. God is love. He can't help but act in love. And he planned in his love. The Bible says he predestined us. What does that mean? He predetermined us. We were on his list before anything of this existed. You think about this. He was on, we were on like, if there was an orphanage list, we were number one. We were the pick. We were the child that he wanted. He says, I want that one. I want to adopt that boy. I want to adopt that girl. You are it. Now, just reflecting upon this whole thing where you're looking at adoption here in a moment. I was reflecting on it. There's a couple in our, in our small group and they gave me permission to, to share this story. It's just an amazing story. And I hope I, I tell it right here today and I'll, I don't have all the facts exactly. So I'll give it a shot. But the, what happened was this, the husband went over into Eastern Europe and was doing some work and was connected, I believe with an orphanage. But they had, him and his wife had an intention, like if, if they come across a child that needs to be adopted, let's look into adopting a child. And so he pursued that. He found there was a, there was a little girl, six-month-old little girl that was, was adopted, that, that was, that was uh, in this orphanage. And so they connect, you know, connected his wife and said, I think this is the child that God wants us to adopt. And so they went through, trying to go through the process to do that, but there was a lot of issues. They couldn't get the signature of the mother that gave her away. And, and so, you know, the husband had to go back home. And then from here, they tried to make contacts. And then they ended up losing contact and lost the, the, the person that was helping them with the language barrier and all that. And they lost contact with this child. Like, oh, and they were just heartbroken. They really felt like this is the child that God wanted them to adopt. Now think about this. Hear about this. Eight years later, six months old, Eight years later, they're opening up a magazine for, you know, adopting children. In the catalog there was this child, eight years later. Like, how do you know a six-month-old that they knew? They knew that was a child. They knew when she was born. She, they, they knew what, you know, area or village that she, she lived in. And they pursued this child. And they ended up adopting this child and raised this child. Isn't that amazing? The determination of parents saying, God, you call us to do this. And I tell you, 
God is that way. God, as our father, saw us in an orphanage and did whatever he can to pursue us and whatever means, whatever sacrifice to go to the ends of the earth to find us. But he did it and demonstrated it through adopting us way before in his plan. Verse five, it says, in love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship to be adopted as his son, adopted as your daughter. Now, you need to know a little bit about adoption back in the Roman days, the first century. It was a little bit different than today. You know, when we think of adopting a, ch- a child, we use it's a child, a baby or a small child. Back then, it was very popular to adopt adults. You think about that. That's, that's weird, adopt an adult. You know, that's, but, but it made sense back then because what it was is rich people, wealthy people, they wanted to pass on their estate to the next generation. They would, look, they would look at their kids and go, they're a bunch of spoiled brats. I can't trust them with my estate. And back then, it wasn't just a physical estate. It was a political power. So you passed on positions to the next generation or the next, and, it was, and back then, this is the way it was. They owned slaves. And so wealthy people had slaves and they had so much, they did not want to pass on to somebody they couldn't trust. And so they would find a trusted adult, a younger adult that would take, when they died and they passed, they would pass their estate to. That's how, that's how they did adoption back then. It was adult adoption. Now, if you're, today, you're here today and you are wealthy, I want you to know I'm available for adoption if you need any help. I'm just saying, I just, I'm willing to do that for you. I think it's a powerful image. I'm halfway serious. Um, it's a powerful image that of this because God looks at us as not just innocent little babies. He sees us. We're beyond innocence. You know you. You know who you are. We were beyond. Our, our, we, we look at our lives and we're not worth it. We don't make the cut of the team. We we were we're weak. We're imperfect. And God says, "As I I I know all know I still want you." in your perfections, in your flaws, in your rebellion, I still called you. I'm going to go to the ends of the earth. In fact, I'm going to do more than that. I'm going to pursue you in giving my very own on your behalf. In love, he says he predestines for adoption to sonship through what? Through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will. I love that. Accordance with his pleasure and will. He's saying, listen, I didn't like, oh, you know, I don't know. Maybe you, I'm not sure. No, he's just saying, no way. You're on my team. I want you. You're my number one pick. He goes on, for this praise of the glorious grace in which he freely gave us to the one. Who's the one? Jesus. He loves. What happened in this adoption transaction is this. It was one life for another. He, God wanted us so much that he willing to give his very son so that we can be adopted as sons and daughters. God gave his very one and only son, the one. In fact, goes on, Paul says in verse seven, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. You see the, you see what's happening here? God's not reluctantly doing anything. He's pouring it on, pouring it on to redeem us. Redemption. That's a word that we maybe use a lot around our culture, but we use it almost like it's a coupon. We say, oh, I got to redeem this coupon for 25% off, you know, canned goods or something. It's like, we're missing the point of what this word, because actually this word means release. 
It means an emancipation of, from slavery. And the irony of this is that when Jesus came, Jesus wasn't picked. He was despised. He wasn't chosen as the chosen one of God, of course, but not chosen by man. He was actually rejected. And he was put to death on the cross so that we would have the sonship, that we would have this relationship, that in a sense, his blood that he shed on the cross for us signed our adoption papers, that we're no longer slaves, that we are sons and daughters of God. Paul's just saying, listen, hey, it's done. Signed, sealed, and delivered. Isn't that amazing? Isn't it amazing to know that we're chosen by God before the before it all came to be that he chose you and you are his number one pick every time. In fact, if he could line us all up again, he would still pick you as number one. You're like, how can we all be number one? He can do that. It's God. He wanted you. Not reluctant, going, mm, I don't know, okay. No, you are chosen. But here's the, here's the catch in all of it. You have a choice. You and I have a choice. We can choose either to live in a slave, a slave mentality or are we going to step in as sons and daughters in the acceptance in this relationship that we have? We make that choice. Now, I want to encourage you, when you make that choice, Paul lays out some great benefits. Great benefits that we have when we are knowing that we're chosen, that we step in to, to choose to live it out. Get some practical ways. When we choose to be the one, when we choose to be one of his chosen, listen, you can write these in. This means assurance. This means assurance. Every, every wise person, if you don't, you should, you should carry insurance, home, auto, health, life, because the unexpected and the inevitable will happen. Here's a question for you. Do you, have, do you carry assurance? The benefit of being chosen by God that we can have an assurance policy. No, no matter what happens to us, no matter what dumb stuff we do in the future, we can be assured. We have this because we, when we choose him, and the thing about this, when God chose us first, it, we didn't choose him. He chose us first in spite of our sin, in spite of our difference and all that we've done. And when we still mess up, God's saying, oh, no, you're off the team. No, he doesn't say that at all. He says this, he, he, I love what Jesus actually assures us. He says, all those the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. I will never drive away. Why? Because of the choice that we make. He says in John, in John 1, John says this, to all who believe in him, to all who, all who receive him, all believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of the natural sin or a human decision or husband's will, but born of God. I tell you, when we receive and believe in the name of Jesus, we do not have the fear to be cut from the team of heaven ever again. Listen, if you don't have that assurance policy today, you can't have it. You can have it today. And the opportunity, our, our Care and Connection team would love to pray with you, to lead you in your faith in Christ, to know that one day for sure, to take care of it for once and for all. And Paul says it's signed, sealed, delivered. It's taken care of. Why would you not want to do that? Why would you not want to do that? I can't understand why people would not. But here's the thing. As you're chosen, it's a choice. It's a choice. 
But when we're chosen, know that we can have this assurance. Another benefit is this. This means being chosen and choosing to be chosen is this. This means purpose. This means purpose. I thought it was Mark Twain, but actually no one really knows who said this, but it's pretty good. It says the two, the two most important days in your life are the day you're born and the day you found out why. Pretty good. I can tell you, the answer to those two questions is Jesus. It's Jesus. God answered both by revealing his purpose through Christ. Paul goes on, he says, with, with all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure when he purposed in Christ to be put in effect when the times reach their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth and under Christ. Not about you, but I love a good mystery. I love a suspenseful movie. Uh, some of you know Eric. He's one of our pastors and part of our church here. Eric, it, he's weird, okay? Because he likes, some of you guys know him, he likes to know the end of a movie before he watches it. He likes to know the end of the story because he goes, is it, worth, is it worth even watching? Okay, that's just weird. Like, why? I, I don't know about you, but I want to know I, I don't, oh, I don't want to know. I, wanna, I don't want to know the end of the story. That's what makes the story so great. What's going to happen next? So pray for him, okay? Uh, so when you talk to him, like, we're praying for you. You're weird, okay? Uh, but, but here, in, in, as much as we like mystery, I don't like a lot of mystery in life, but we live in mystery, don't we? In fact, we live in, God feels mysterious at times, doesn't he? And this is an obvious question. Maybe you thought about it. Maybe people that don't believe in, even struggle believing in God. I mean, if God's really, if God really is there, why doesn't he make it more obvious? Here's the, here's the challenge with that. He already did. He already did. How? Jesus. If you're going to pick a way to reveal yourself in being God, you think, oh, well, maybe a billboard or maybe a you know, big you know, giant jumbo screen in the time. I am God. But God knew what we needed. And what we needed is someone that can relate with us. And so he brought Jesus to this earth, the one and only son, so we can understand, though completely perfect, he was completely human, to relate with us, to reveal himself. The mystery of God is revealed through Jesus. And with that, his son, knowing and revealing who he is, we reveal who we are, and we find our purpose. What's our purpose? Is to love God, love others, love others to God. And in that, when we find our purpose, when we find our identity in him, it directs our life. And the promise is this, that we get wisdom and understanding in the process to understand his will for our lives. I don't know about you, but I pray every single day for wisdom. I pray for direction. I pray for how to react, how to respond. And I love the fact that when I choose to seek him, God reveals who he is through Christ. It gives me unity, clarity, direction, and all this, all things under heaven and earth that I can understand who he is. I love that. I love what God provides for us. And what's amazing, when I get off track, I'm not off the team. God just nudges me back. Sometimes very gently, he nudges me back. Or sometimes he does that to me. How about you, right? He gets our attention in a way, so we get back on. But he never, he might discipline us and get us back on track, but he never rejects us. Another benefit when we choose to be one of his chosen is this. This means hope. This means hope. If you could name a piece of rope to hang on to, I think it would be hope, right? 
You're hanging on to hope. But people talk about hope, say, well, you just got to have hope. You just got to have some hope. And the, and the reality is hope is it will get you through the day or we go, man, I hope I get through the day. But really asking this question, who or what are you hoping for? If you're just hanging on to hope, what's at the other end? I would concern of who's holding the rope. And if we believe, it's just as we sang the king of our heart, knowing that he will never, ever let us go. He will never forsake us. That is what we trust in and who he is. And Paul's basically telling us here, let me give you perspective of hope. Let me, and he reinforces, I love this in, in verse 11, in him we were also, again, chosen, have been predestined according to his plan, who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his Glory. Again, God predestined us. His plans is to know him and they were chosen by him. But in that, in all that plan is the fact that everything is to be conformed to the purpose of his will, that he is in control of all things. Nothing gets past God. And the challenge with that is that fact that nothing gets past God and that he still allows the suffering, pain, and evil that's in this world. And that's a mystery in itself. But we need to trust in the fact that all that happens to us and the atrocities in this world and the evil that's in this world, we need to realize, understand that in all things, in all things, he works it out according to his will. We only have this perspective. We don't have eternity's perspective that one day we will. One day we will. And here's the challenge and the tension of hope is you only hope in something that hasn't happened yet. You only hope in something that still hasn't found its destination. You only hope in something that still has not been fulfilled. That that is what the future brings. But in the meantime, what do we do? What's this? Is we trust. And we trust in the one that will help us through if we choose to trust the one that he holds it all in his hands. Knowing that we're not alone, that we have something so special. And its final benefit is this. This means having his presence. In the midst of all that goes through and all that happens in our life, knowing that we have his presence. I love the final section of this that we're going to look at today, verses 13 and 14. Read it again. It says, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. What Paul is saying to us is, if you've trusted Christ to be your Lord, to be your Savior, and you believed in his name, the Holy Spirit of God, the very one himself, is now in you, and you are sealed, you are marked, you are tattooed with this that says you all, you belong to God. A seal. Now, a seal back then, when they, they mailed like letters, they actually didn't have paper back then. They used these parchments and then they, they put a seal, like a wax. And they would, and it usually be an insignia of someone's like monogram or something. There was, everybody had their own unique little stamp or seal, especially wealthy people did. And they would, they would transport that documentation. And what it was is saying, hey, what is delivered is authentic. What is delivered, it comes from, no, for sure it comes from the person. And God's saying to us is, listen, uh, you are signed. You are sealed. You are delivered to my hands. I own you, not in a bad way, 
but in a great way. We're owned by God. We are, we are his. We are his possession. We belong to him, not as slaves any longer, but as, as sons and daughters in this adoption. God has put a stamp on you. And what that means is the seal, what he enclosed in that, you know what it is? Is his himself. It's himself. The very spirit, he says, you the deposit guaranteeing your inheritance. It's like earnest money. You put on, you're going to buy property or home or a business. It's a little bit of money that you're hoping one day that you're going to have. And God said, I'm putting deposit in you, my, my spirit in you. I'm giving you a little bit of me to get you through the day. How about, you know, I need a little bit of God every single day. There will be ultimate fulfillment that we could experience. But until then, the spirit is there to help us through, to get us through, to get us by, to comfort us, encourage us, to strengthen us in our weakest moments. All these benefits. When we recognize that as chosen people, we make a choice. And when we do, we get to experience assurance. We experience his purpose. We can experience his hope. We can experience his presence. As our team comes, I want to close with this final question. As you've been chosen, have you made your choice? It's one thing to hear, and I hope, hope, hope you hear today that you have been chosen. You are the, God's number one pick. When everybody lined up at the playground to choose teams, he chose you first every single time. You're not an afterthought. You're not a leftover. You're not a reject. You're not a surprise to him. He planned from the very beginning, before time began, chose you today. And you're like, how do I know I'm chosen? You're here today. You're here today to hear this message. You're here today to hear the good news of Jesus. So that what that means is, is you're chosen. You have a choice. You have a choice to walk into a relationship with Christ. I mentioned earlier, if you don't know Jesus, we want to pray with you here in a minute for you to receive Christ. As chosen people, you have this choice. Will I believe? Will I believe that or will you continue to live in the lie that I'm a victim in mentality and I don't, I don't care and I don't matter to anybody else? You hear it over and over. I keep banging the drum. Who we are in God's eyes. But we make a choice. The adoption papers are slid over. Jesus already signed them. Here's the pen. The pen is through prayer. Say, Jesus, I need you. I want you to be my Lord. I want you to be my Savior. I want to be adopted in your family. I no longer want to be a slave to sin and slave to this world. I want to be son and daughter of you. I'm going to give you a moment to pray for that. But I want to also challenge everybody here in the room. Those papers still are legal. They're, they still, they're still binding for all of eternity. No matter what you did and what you'll do this week, and guess what? You're not going to be perfect. You're not going to be holy. You're not going to be blameless because blameless is the fact is this. There's nothing you can do and earn salvation. There's nothing you can do to receive, Christ, receive forgiveness. You are, you are, you are wretched. We're wretched people. We're, we're, we're before Christ, before we, we see Jesus, but we can be holy and blameless. That was our calling. But we choose, say, God, I want, you today. And we want Jesus tomorrow. Do those papers still matter? And that we, if when we live out our identity, we live in that, that we are chosen people, not, not pompous about it, but we walk in humility. Guess what? That speaks to everyone around of an opportunity for them not to be slaves this world any longer, but to be sons and daughters as well. Will you pray with me?
head bowed and eyes closed, I gave an opportunity this first service, or the first service, for you maybe here today, you say, you know what? I do not have assurance policy. I do not know for sure I'm going to heaven. I tell you, you're a prayer away. You're a prayer away to receive Christ today. If you're here today and you go, I don't know for sure, but I want to, Jesus slides the pin over, says, sign here. By receiving me as Lord and Savior. If that's you today, can you slip your hand up? I want to pray for you today. If that's you today. I want to give opportunity today. Any of you. Any of you to receive Jesus. Now I challenge everybody here today. Some of you have not made that decision. We're, that's cool. We want to pray. We want to pray for you if you're if you're available. That's great after the service. That's up to you. We want to give you that choice today. But those who have received Christ, you make that choice every day. You make that choice to receive. And I want to pray for you and myself as well that we would live out that choice. Can we do that? God, thank you for this opportunity. What a great reminder. What a great reminder that we're chosen by you. We're not the last. We're not the leftover. We're not the hand-me-down. We're not like no one else would pick us. So you picked us. You picked us number one. And you will pick us number one every single time. And God, we're so grateful that you picked us before we even existed. You chose us. You chose us to be holy and blameless in, in your eyes and the, because of the work of your son by sacrificing himself on the cross for us. A substitution was made. A redemption came and we were released from the, the prison of sin so that we can no longer have to worry about being slaves, but we can be sons and daughters of you. God, I pray that we would live out that identity this week. No matter when we are rejected, no matter we're turned down, no matter that someone else did not reach out to us and not cared for us, we know we're loved by you and we're chosen by you every single time. And Lord, in that identity, Lord, we can live out our purpose. We can live out your will for our lives. Ultimately, not to be a fortress and not to just kind of go with what the world says, but to be this army of love. Will North Bay Christ the King, may we be the army of love this week that's so strong and so caring the people around us, that they truly can find their identity, that they're chosen by you, and a relationship you have for them to choose as well. God, may we be that people this week as your church from this place, we pray in Jesus' name.